The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes, an open, frank, honest conversation about gambling addiction addicts like myself. Joining me as always from Epic Risk Management, my buddy Dan Trelaro. Danny, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Craig. Uh, in the middle of travel again here, so I'm at the airport. So just like we did the other time, I'll keep myself on mute and I'll come in periodically. Uh, my man lives in airports these days, but it's all good because <laughs> he's paying it forward. And happy to have from New Jersey, Eric, a gambler in recovery like myself. And Dan, Eric, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Craig. Thank you for having me. When was your last wager? August 1st, 2013. Wow, awesome. So uh, 10 years. Yeah, you just passed your 10-year mark. Congratulations. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And how old are you? I'm 41 years old. Uh, very young man, very young man. So let's get into it. How old were you when you were first exposed to gambling? Yeah, I was first exposed to gambling at a very young age. Uh, I had my mother, my two aunts. My grandmother, my uncle, my great-grandmother, as far back as I can remember, we were, it was all about gambling on the family holidays, and whenever we got together, it was sitting around that table, and it was all about gambling. I was exposed at a very young age, I'd say six, seven years old. So I assume then we're talking uh, card games, poker, you know, maybe some Hold'em, some AC Ducey, kind of the, the basic you know, story for the average American kid growing up with a deck of cards in the house. Yes, sir. Yes. Michigan rummy. Yep. Three card poker, some different things like Labosh and things that I don't even know the name of anymore. So gambling is a normal part of your childhood because it's all you know growing up. You're not exposed to families that don't gamble. And I, from that standpoint, how young a guy or kid were you when you found yourself gambling outside of the house or away from family? I would say it started to occur in my early teens, just with betting with other teenagers at a young age on a basketball game. And it started going into some football sheets in middle school and early high school. But, you know, really gambling from, you know, on anything I possibly could at that age is just I wasn't exposed to much. Got it. It's funny. I, I always talk to people who, like, I, I've been gambling or involved with gambling since I'm seven. So same story as yours. Uh, and I always wonder for you, you know, when I was, I, my memory of it was like sixth or seventh grade where I knew the vernacular. I knew gambling terms. And, you know, the average 10, 11, 12-year-old kid just didn't know it. So there was a part of that for me where your kids that wanted to start doing things like that as you become a teenager and beyond – there was like a cool factor where, you know, I knew you had a handicap a horse race. I knew how to play your know, 30 different varieties of poker. And there's an aspect of that that I think fed my very young, you know, ego. And I wonder if you had a similar experience. Yeah, it's a very similar experience. There was just something about the feeling that, that I got from whether it wasn't even about winning the money or losing the money. It was just that feeling of action at even at a young age. So I, I always was involved in it, and I. It was most most of the time it was on sports, and you know I was always looking at spreads at a very young age, and even my mother was giving me football sheets or saying I'm making a bet with a bookie, you know, just pick a pick a team name and 
right. you know, it was just part of my life. So, Dan, let me bring you in here. Uh, you know, we talk about the, the normalizing of gambling through the eyes of a kid. Uh, and that, you know, doesn't always obviously lead to problems. But, you know, there's a lot of people who do have a problem that when you look back on it, were exposed to gambling at a young age, right? Exactly. I mean, it's the normalization of, of, you know, it's normalizing the spending of money, right, which is one thing. So you kind of see it as acceptable. We see that even in video games today. People spending money on loot boxes, prize packs. You normalize the spending of money on something of chance. But, you know, what Eric just said, and I, you know, we all three of us can connect at this level because we all started early. And for me, it wasn't about winning big money at an early age. It was about spending time, like spending time with my dad. It was about a way to bond with family. It was just like so normalized that it just felt good. You know, a, a seven-year-old, a 12-year-old, we don't really have a concept of what a dollar is at that age because there's no bills. There's nothing to compare it to. But it's like, this is cool. This makes me feel good. And like, I, my ego is being fed. And it's just like, that's all the stuff that tends to matter to someone in that like adolescent, teenage years. Eric, so... How old were you when it started becoming a bigger part of your life where it became an everyday kind of thing? I would probably say around the age of 18, 19, when, when really I was exposed, you know, I, I was exposed to some bookies, illegal, illegal stuff behind the scenes, you know, where I was wagering with a bookie and I'd have to settle up the following week. And at that point I couldn't get into Atlantic city. So I would go to, the Meadowlands and we would wager on some horses and some different avenues there. But most of the time it was really a legal betting with, with a bookie. Right. Which means you had moments in your life as a young guy where, you know, you had wins, obviously you collected money, but there had to be moments uh, early on when you lost. And then of course you get to the situation where you lost more than you had in your pocket. Uh, How frequently did that happen for you as a younger guy? I would say at a younger guy, it didn't happen as much because my wagers were a little more low level. And, and as I, as my career started to evolve and as I started to make some more money, you know, my wagers started to get higher. They started to increase into my, my middle twenties. And at that point is really when it started to get out of control. And, you know, I got to a point of where I, I had to start taking out of my IRA account, my 401k, the savings account and borrow, beg, yep. you know, so, repay friends. So I guess here there's there's a crossroads between the amount of time you spend gambling and also your life developing, you know, getting out of college, getting a job, you know, meeting somebody, having a relationship. As you were gambling in your 20s, just walk me through what was going on in life from a standpoint of professionally and was there a someone else, a significant other that came into your life around the same time? Yeah, I I got married at a young age. I got married at 23. So my wife and I met, um, I guess it was in 2001. And I was, I had just started my career. I was a manager. And all this was, was, was a secret. She never knew any of it. She knew I gambled. I had a couple wins where I remember buying our new house, some furniture, and she was like, oh, this is nice. Maybe you can continue to furnish our house, you know, as you go down to AC and win some money. And so she was a, she was part of it early stages, middle stages, and she's really the reason why I stopped. Now, career-wise, I was, I was a manager for a store. I got promoted to a, to a corporation, um, went back at a higher level in a, in a store as a, a, 
a supervisor and, you know, somehow I wiggled my way through my career during this gambling time. And um, I would, was yeah. there a situation like it was for me at least where gambling became more important than your wife, gambling became more important than your family, than your job, and you spent, you know, virtually every waking moment thinking about where am I going to gamble tonight, where if I need money, where am I getting it from, if I owe money, how am I paying it back, where gambling became all-consuming for you, or did you not get that deep into it? No, it was very consuming. I, I was able to manage it to an extent, but, you know, it all did come to a to a crumble as, as things evolved, and my wife caught me the first time, and I made promises that I didn't hold, and she caught me a second time, and I went back to the bet, and... You know, really, at the end of the day, it was consuming to the point of where my, my wife was going to move on from me. Right. All right, so let's get into that before we take our break, and we'll get to the, the good stuff in life in just a moment. You have a, you're a young guy, married young, building his family, have a home, have a really good job, making decent money. And obviously, your wife, as you said, catches you once, you talk your way out of it, catches you a second time, you know, you talk your way out of that one. And then something had to happen. What was for you, if you don't mind sharing, that bot? Well, before I get to that, let me ask you this. As you evolved as a gambler, and now you're a professional and you're a, you're a husband, how did your gambling change? Did it go from card games to, I'm going to play roulette and blackjack and, uh, and craps? I'm betting on sports. Were you gambling on everything and anything? Uh, where, where was your gambling focused? I didn't turn down an opportunity to gamble on anything, but sports and the illegal offshore websites were really my main was were my main focus. I you know I never had to put money up front. It was always yep. worrying about paying it on the back end. Um, yep. You know I had all these different illegal websites and different accounts that I can gamble multiple different games on at multiple different times of the day. Got it. All right. So now walk me through the bottom of the barrel moment. You're doing this all day, every day. Your wife's now at least hip to the fact that you do gamble and maybe gamble more than she was let on to think that you gambled. And then something bad happens. Walk me through it. Yeah. I would say the, the end of it was I was taking a nap up in my bed and she comes upstairs and she has the, the IRA statement in her hand. And she says, do you, did you take money out of the IRA? And right to her face out of a deep sleep, as that was one of my escapes, sleep. And when I wake up, it'll all be better. You know, I, I lied right to her face. I denied it. I was in denial. I said, no, I didn't take it. And, you know, she walks, she storms out of that room. She calls some, some people in the family, my in-laws. And, you know, it, it escalates from there to the point of where she says, you know, I, I'm going to look to leave unless you truly go get help. And that was it. That was the moment for you right then and there? I would say at that point it was a large piece for me. But honestly, it was the first night I walked into um, a 12-step meeting. That's oh. what really opened my eyes to hope and a better life. I'm going to stop yeah. you right there. We're going to hear how things changed for you after that first meeting. It is, hello, my name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Dan Chalauer, of course, Epic Risk Management. Danny, what airport are you in? Where in the country are you right now? I'm in Newark Airport. Um, 
going out to Denver, and then from Denver to uh, Dayton, Ohio, uh, do some work with Wright State. We're doing work with uh, Miami of Ohio this week. We've got some conferences. So I'll be in, I think, six or seven different airports over the next 18 days. Got it. Awesome. Well, you're doing a great <laughs> job uh, talking to the young uh, college athletes about gambling. Eric joins us as well. He's a gambling recovery for just over a decade now, and uh, happy to hear his story. So where we left you off there, Eric, your wife had found out a couple times and then she realizes that you're stealing from your own IRA, and then the poop hits the fan. So you go to your first you know, 12-step meeting or GA meeting, I suppose, to uh, acknowledge that you have a problem. For a lot of people, you know, those meetings are very uncomfortable at first, and a lot of people, myself included, uh, gamble after going to that meeting. So what was your first experience like, and was that the last day you gambled, or did you try to convince yourself after going to that first meeting, that you could figure out a way to start doing it more responsibly. Yeah, and I'm just going to give you a quick little backstory on on who I am and and kind of what led me yeah. to that point. So, for me, it was about emotional insecurity, and I grew up with a family of of alcoholism and and gambling addiction, and you know, as a young child and adult, I always said, I don't want to be like these people. I don't want to. You know, many people in my, including my mom, had passed from alcoholism. And I said, I don't want to be like these people. And I had to be an adult as a child. And I, and I took a lot of responsibility on and I didn't ever ask anyone from, for help. And as I evolved into an adult and had to become more responsible, I was still holding those feelings in and those angst. And it just led me, me personally, my escape was gambling. And my wife finds out, I, we go to a therapist, the therapist recommends GA meeting, and, and I show up to this meeting, and I'm, I don't even, I can't sit here and say I remember it, but there was a comfort level, there was a feeling of hope, there was a feeling of vulnerability, there was a feeling that I can be open and honest about my past, even more than just gambling, and it, it brought some comfort to my life, that first meeting, and I have not gambled since my first meeting. That's awesome. Congratulations wow. on that. It's, awesome. it's, it's a great accomplishment. You know, Dan, I want to bring you in here because Eric said something that you know interests me, and that is, in, in Eric, in your attempt not to be like your mom or other relatives that you saw that suffered from addictions, although maybe not gambling, but certainly, as you said, alcoholism, that you decided you didn't want to be like them, but you became exactly like them. And I wonder, first, from you, Dan, is that more the norm or is that more the exception? Well, yeah, usually, like, when you, when you grow up as a child and you grow up around certain things, you're going to kind of take a collection of the positive experiences and the negative experiences. If the positive outweighs the negative, like as a general rule of thumb, it's never that simple, but just to simplify it, if positive outweighs the negative, you're more likely to adopt some elements of that behavior. If someone only sees the negative and never sees the positive, then they're likely to just not pursue that. But when you see certain things, you're like, okay, this is good. This makes me feel good. This gives me bonding time with my family and my parents, or I win money, whatever it is. I feel important. You're likely still going to adopt some of that behavior. So it's really a collection of the Positives and negatives. Got it, got it. Dan's at the airport, so I know he's trying to mute his phone uh, to help us out from a sound uh, quality standpoint. Eric, I, I wonder this. You know, one of, one of the things, you know, I guess for me, one of the mountains for me to climb, I'm still climbing it, is re-earning the trust of the people I hurt the most, namely, you know, wife, kids, family members, because, you know, we hurt them more than we hurt anybody else because, unfortunately for them, 
you know, they're in harm's way more than anyone else because, you know, they're the people we lie to the most. They're the people we hide things from the most. And while it's absolutely a work in progress, you've got double the amount of time in recovery that I do. I'm just over five years. But I wonder for you, especially being married so young, so a little bit, you know, more immature at the age you got married, it sounds like you married an amazing woman. How long did it take you to start rebuilding the trust that you clearly lost uh, when she realized that you had been lying to her? Yeah, I I would say for the most part, I've earned most of her trust back, and there's still some little nuances in, in our relationship um, that she will question. Um, but for me, it, it was just a matter of, of myself changing who I was as a person, and I think she saw the actions, Craig. I think she saw that I was doing things out of my comfort zone. I was looking to get well. I was doing things more than... Um, just the program or GA things that the people in the program were telling me to do to enable to me get out of my comfort zone and, and grow and learn more about who I am. Um, but you know, funny thing to this day, you know, my wife, you know, I, I use a credit card when I go to the supermarket and the story is, is, you know, I come home from the supermarket. She looks at the receipt. I'm going back about five years ago. She goes, Oh, I see. I see you charged $150 for the groceries. What was the other $5 for? There were two separate transactions. So there's the, that insecurity still there. And the other transaction is it was from the pharmacy, from the supermarket, because you can't purchase, right. you know. Yeah, it's me- funny you say but- that. I, I'm living the same exact life, and I was, and there's an aspect of it. I never thought I would enjoy it. I never thought. If you'd asked me you know, 10 years ago, would I have ever lived life that way? I would have said, you're out of your mind. I'm never doing that. You know, I paid all the bills in the house, took care of every you know, credit card, all the nonsense that, you know, kind of like the I'm the guy, I do that kind of stuff. You know, that a lot of us you know, grew up seeing our dads do it and that type of, of uh, your relationship, your husband to wife. But I got to be honest, now that I, I don't do it um, and I do have to be completely honest and open about same thing. Hey, I see you're at Ace Hardware. What did you spend $18 on? You know what I mean? And the fact that I know that there are people checking and have eyeballs on me when I don't even see them in the same vicinity as me has made me live my life that way 24-7. And I will tell you this, for all the machismo out there about I pay the bills, I make the money, all that nonsense, this way of living is so much easier because I got nothing to hide anymore. And when you are knee-deep in the addiction of gambling, you hide everything. I've told this story many times that I became this world-class liar because I'm lying about everything gambling-related, the amounts I'm gambling, the amounts I'm winning, the amounts I'm losing, everything about it, right? The amounts I'm borrowing, whatever it might be. And then that kind of leaked into my non-gambling life where if I was in a supermarket and I was holding a watermelon and a loved one would have called me and said, what are you doing? I would have sent him out to deli eating a sandwich, like yeah. lying about something that's just stupid. You don't need yeah. to lie about. But that became my way of life. That became kind of my security blanket. Just lie about everything. And I can I, relate yeah, go ahead. to that, Craig, real quick. I mean, I started lying about what I was eating for lunch. Someone called me. I'm having a slice of pizza. Meanwhile, I'm sitting at Panera. Like, you start lying about every little thing. And the accountability, you know, it's, Eric, you just said it's actions instead of words. That's what matters, you know. Yeah. And it's being where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, and doing what you're supposed to do. And that takes time. And it builds up over time. And it's nice to have, like, that trust but verify mentality. And we need that support. I don't want anyone to ever trust me 100% again, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't know that I want that freedom. 
quite honestly. Well, I would say this. I do want to be trusted 100%, but I, I know that, that I know that, that day is probably never going to come, and it's just such a different way of life. You know, being, having someone say to you, hey, can I see your phone for a second? You know, five years ago, absolutely not. You can't touch my phone, right? Because <laughs> I know what's on my phone, gambling. Yo, casinos, you know, that kind of stuff. Now, here, take my phone. I don't need my phone. So it's just that aspect of living life has gotten much easier. Eric, before I let you go, we like to end the show on a positive note. There are a lot of people, thousands of people listening right now that are either at stage one themselves or unfortunately have a loved one, a relative, et cetera, that is at the very beginning stages of recognizing and accepting that they, like we do, have a problem. And a lot of those people, like I did back in the day, I imagine you did 10 years ago, Eric, uh, I'm sorry, Dan, maybe 13 years ago at this point, you know, it's daunting. The walls are caving in on us. It's hard to breathe some days. And when they hear people like us talk, you know, this many years into recovery, you know, maybe there are times when it's hard to relate to our lives because we're so far removed now from when we were knee deep in it. What do you say to that man, that woman, that person, the addict or the family member of the addict that is at step one and doesn't possibly, you know, see the light at the end of the tunnel. What do you say to those people? Yeah, based on my experience is I, is I would say make a step, make a choice to get to a meeting and, and be open and honest about what's going on in your life. If you're not open and honest with other people, you're not going to be able to move forward at any point. And I think that was a big part of, of what made me gamble. So, you know, get to a meeting, be uncomfortable, do uncomfortable things, anything that'll help you heal, show you hope, challenge you to become a better person and just really live life day to day and try to be the best person you can be. And let me ask you this question. The life you're living now compared to the life you were living almost 11 years ago. Tell people about the comparison between the two uh, lives you're living. Today I'm living in complete freedom. I, I don't have much to worry about. You know, our our day-to-days in regards to maybe, you know, a family member with some health challenges or work. But those are very small challenges in comparison to what we were doing to our lives and to the others around us. So it's it's a very freeing feeling, um, hard to explain if you've never felt it. But I, I'm at a point in my life where I just do the best I can, be the best person I can, the best friend, the best husband, the best colleague, and really everything falls into place. But it's all based on doing the right thing. You know, I, I don't make poor decisions or choices today. I'm not going to go out and gamble because something happened that was negative in my life. You know, I'm going to lean on the tools that I've learned, and I'm con- going to continue to to be a good person. So I'm not bringing those negative aspects in my life anymore. I've cut off people. I've cut off things that trigger me. And, you know, here I am today living a, a great life. Well, look, I appreciate you sharing your story. More people need to share their story. So other people out there that are struggling or are at step one know that they can recognize a little bit of themselves and people like us. So thank you so much for sharing. Uh, great to hear that you're doing well. Very proud of you. If I could ever return the favor, just reach out. I'm happy to do it. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me, Craig. And all the best to you, Dan. Thanks. Take care. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Eric. Bye. Uh, Dan, before we uh, wrap it up for the day, uh, hearing your travels, 
always puts a smile on my face because I know that's more young people that you're going to be able to touch and feel and see and warn about the potential dangers. Uh, one last thing, though, on that. Dan and I participated in the FanDuel Playwell Day a few weeks ago at Irving Plaza. And I just thought it was an amazing opportunity for you, myself, a former guest on our show, Spike B, to be seen in public and to share her story. And that day resonated with me when I walked out of the building because it's one thing for you and I to do this on the radio. We can't see people, right? But when we're telling our stories in front of actual people and you see the reaction that our stories bring and the kind of the epiphany that the audience has because they're recognizing our behaviors in people they love or themselves is just a really good reminder that we are making a difference and people need to hear these shows. And if you have found yourself on the right end of recovery, uh, I would implore you to please share your story because the more stories we share, the more we can humanize addiction and the more we can get people that very much need it, the help they need it. And I thought you did a great job there as well, Dan. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Craig. That was a great time. And, you know, just keeping it brief here, and I'm sorry if there's some background noise, seeing the aha moment on people's faces to say, wow, this really does move, happen to people. It moved it, it moved it from theory to actuality. And that's why lived experience matters, Craig, doing the work that you do. And I'm so proud of you. And, you know, you always tell our guests that. And I'm telling you the same thing, man. I always tell you that even privately. Proud of the work that you're doing and just thankful for to be on this journey with you, brother. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate you as always. Get home safely. Coming up next is Joe Beningo. And then after, of course, another weekend of football, Jets with a must-win game. The New York Giants trying to save their season as well. Monday morning at 6, the regular scheduled programming on FAN starts all over again. Have a great weekend, and thank you so much for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig.